Hi, this is Danielle Carissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 175 of Art for Your Ear. Whew, 175. That feels like a very big number. Anyway, I am so excited about today's interview. As you might notice, this episode is going up a day late. Then again, you probably have no idea what day or even month it is, so I'm just going to roll with it and pretend that this is going up on time. I really wanted to talk to this painter and poet, but she's been in and out of the hospital. So earlier this week, when she said that she could talk at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning, I jumped on it. I follow Portland-based artist Megan Krzmarczyk. I sure hope I pronounced that right. I'm pretty sure I did. Megan Krzmarczyk on Instagram um, under the name Messenger Bird. That's how I know her, and you might too. If you aren't already following her journey, you should. I have never actually talked to her until today, but I totally feel like I know her because of the way that she shares her life and her artwork online. I have so many questions for her, and I just know the answers are going to be a cocktail of inspiration and chills. (laughs) Okay, let's do this. Calling Megan in Portland. Hi, Megan. Hi, how are you? I am great. How are you? I'm doing all right. So you're home. I'm home. And does that feel so nice to be home? It feels so nice to be home. Yeah. It, it just, it's, it's such a welcome, such a simple thing <laughs> to yeah. be able to sleep in your own bed and be around your own things. Yeah. No um, but you know, man, those simple things you, you really are thankful for. Yeah. No kidding. And so now you're um, home. Are you home with anybody or are you on your own? So I'm with my mom right now oh, nice. um, and my dog. And we're at a really cute um, Airbnb that a friend lent us up in Northwest Portland. And so it's just this really beautiful neighborhood full of historic buildings and flowering trees. And um, it's just a really nice place to just take a walk during the day and find some peace, you know? Yeah. Is it sort of quiet? Like are people kind of... Are they socially distancing like they're supposed to be? They are. They oh, are for sure. <laughs> Everybody is on their best behavior. <laughs> oh, good. And um, how many stylish masks do you own? Oh, man. I think three at least. <laughs> three. But I just bought another one online. So, you know, I can't be stopped. <laughs> no, you know, when you're a fashionista with like a compromised immune system, you, you really need to be able to rock as many masks as possible. You know, it's true. It's true. So small things again, really. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I have been following you on Instagram. I was thinking about it this morning. I have, I feel like forever. I also have no idea how, when, or why I started following you. Um, and so I want to, what I always do is I always go back to the beginning and I want to hear about what you were like as a kid and stuff. But before I ask you that, I want to ask you why your handle is messenger bird. Oh man. Uh, Messenger bird is based on a bright eyes song. Um, it's a really mopey, very sad song. Oh, (laughs) that doesn't Uh, fit you. (laughs) I love, I love, uh, my best friend always knows when she can look at Spotify and she can see, you know, who's streaming different music. If I'm playing my saddest music, she's like, Oh, Megan must be very happy right now because she knows how much I love sad music. (laughs) Um, so it's actually, it's based on a bright eyes song that I like fell in love with in my early twenties and, uh, it's very angsty. I love it. 
<laughs> song, and it's just kind of stuck ever since then. Okay, love it. I was just curious. So, okay, there, now I know. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about what you were like as a kid. Um, are you born and raised in Portland, or where did you grow up? You know, I am actually the product of a, a military family, oh. so I was born in Hawaii. Oh, Yes. Yeah, I was born in Hawaii. My mom was working in military intelligence in Honolulu, oh and gosh. she just kind of um, up and left her life in the Midwest and joined the army and moved to Hawaii and met someone, got married, and had me. Wow. And yeah, so I was born there. And how long were you there? So I was only there about a year. Great baby pictures, great yes. baby videos, you know, <laughs> it's very cool. Uh, but we were only there about a year and then subsequently moved, um, to quite a few places after that. And I think kind of like throughout my life, it's really astonishing. I've been in Portland for as long as I have been, I've been here for probably a decade and because I moved and lived in so many places growing up. Yeah. Military life. Right. Totally. Yeah. The military and then my dad worked for the government and then they were missionaries. So, you know, there was a lot of just constant kind of transition. Wow. And did you kind of go with the flow? Did you like that or did you want to stay put? You know, I think it's one of those things as a kid, you get into your groove in different places and you're like, these are my friends. And, you know, now I have a, I'm anchored. Um, So it was, it was always really jarring to have to kind of go to the next place and reestablish relationships and, um, kind of reestablish like an identity. And, um, you know, I was an only child in a really religious family and I was homeschooled and I constantly had to move. So it was a lot of, I mean, I feel like, you know, what I had to experience early in my life prepared me really well for what I've had to experience later in my life, which is having to be extremely flexible and having to find just the best case scenario in a very, uh, you know, uncontrolled kind of environment. Yeah. Um, and I always kind of had to be very adaptive and flexible and go with the flow because I didn't really have a choice. Yeah. Wow. And so during all of that time, were you artsy? Like was art your kind of thing or, or were you not doing it yet? I was thinking about this earlier when you sent me the questions, um, and when we kind of talked about this, but yeah, I thought about this and I actually think, you know, the thing that has influenced me probably the most deeply in my life has been my relationship and my connection with nature. Mm-hmm. And from a really early age, and especially my dad was a biologist. And so we grew up being out in nature quite a bit and traveling and exploring and going on road trips. And I think that was kind of my deepest, like, that was my identity was this kind of nature child, Mm -hmm. you know, out. Um, and wanting, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I raised money for animals and, you know, I just had a really deep connection to just nature and animals and the earth. And somewhere along the way that kind of went away. And I think it was just associated with, you know, my parents got a divorce. My dad and I didn't really have a great relationship. So my association, I think with that really beautiful, thing of connecting with nature and learning really early on just the, the, our relationship with it and our value, you know, to Mm -hmm. each other, um, that was connected with my dad. And so those were very negative and I stepped away from that for a while and pivoted in other directions. And for me, 
starting to make art about six or seven years ago, I think was really a return both to that nature part of myself, which was really kind of that healing inner child and moving into the role I was always supposed to have as an artist, but really took me quite a bit into my life to finally start to practice. Hmm, that's awesome. I, it's so funny because I just assumed, I just assumed from stalking you, I mean following you, <laughs> that, um, that you would have been that kid in the corner, especially when you said military family and moving around a lot, like a lot of people I've interviewed that had that growing up said, yeah. oh yeah, you know, because they were an only child or because they were moving a lot and had to reestablish friendships, they would always just be in a corner drawing. Um, so yeah. that, but that wasn't you. I think, well, I think, you know, my, probably my earliest relationship with making things, but it wasn't really making art. I, it was more of like a practical thing was that I had this little tree house in the backyard. And when I was probably eight or nine, I would go in the back and find like clay in the soil and make little like sun dried pots, Oh, that's you know? Awesome. So, so I definitely was kind of my own little friend in the back, you know, being like a weird jungle boy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, so maybe that was kind of my earliest. Yeah, that was, I was, I was like, but... that, I was like that growing up too, because um, my dad is a scientist and um, we always oh, grew fun. up in small towns with like a yard where you could go out and explore and, um, you know, we'd make like little, like, um, well, I thought they were forts, but it was basically just sitting under a bush. But to me, right. it was like this amazing fort, you know, and meanwhile, now I'm like, oh my God, I can't even imagine like there's probably black widow spiders under there, but you know, at the time. It was awesome. And I would bring in, you know, my little craft supplies and oh, have yeah. grand plans of what I could make under there. It was great. Oh, yeah. I had no fear at all. Yeah, no. Mm. Oh, now I wouldn't go into there. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, so did you, what did you, after you finished high school, did you go to school for anything or what were you, a, a wanderer? What were you doing after high school? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was really bent on being a journalist, and I, I, my, one of my first jobs was working at a newspaper, where I kind of moved my way from writing classified ads to, you know, covering border issues on the border of Arizona and Mexico, and I was doing this when I was like 16, 17 years old. Mm. Um, so that, you know, I think for me, I really had a connection to writing, and I wanted to tell people stories, and I just had such a heart for kind of unearthing stories of just the everyday person. And so I went to the, I went to school for journalism, but I think one of the things that has always kind of held me back is I'm definitely kind of a dreamer in a lot of ways, but there was always kind of the safety net of thinking about, well, I know you want to do this risky thing over here, but you know, the way that we kind of live our lives is in a really kind of safe zone of, well, is that a job that's going to give you benefits? Is it going to be financially, you know, successful? Is it going to be a study job? Um, so all of these kind of practical kind of things start to come into play. And I think for me, because I had so much instability growing up and constantly moving, I wanted to try to find some stability in my career. Yeah. And so I definitely chose, I went from journalism to public relations and more marketing hmm. and went that direction. Very, very practical, very, you know, and I was miserable. I definitely, that was not <laughs> where my heart was at all. 
and what I wanted to do. How old were you when you did, when you switched to that? Yeah, I was in my early twenties, um, in my early twenties. And I remember being about a year into my career and the art thing just kept, you know, I'd studied art history as my minor in undergraduate and had worked at the museum on campus and loved it so much. Um, didn't go that direction, but about a year into my career, I was like, you know, the art thing keeps calling to me. And I was like, I don't make art. I don't somewhere along the way. I was like, because I'm not a technically proficient, you know, <laughs> artist, <laughs> I, I can't make art. That's not my thing, but I had such a heart for it and passion for it that I really wanted to advocate for artists and to support arts organizations. So I applied to grad school in Oregon for museum studies and arts administration. And I think actually I started following you around that time because I was doing so much in-depth, just museum research and connecting with artists and arts organizations and people who were advocating for artists. And so Mm. I think I was probably one of your earliest readers. That's amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. If I think about it, it's about the same time that I was in grad school. So that's amazing. And so, but in your head, you were thinking, no, 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 I'm not an artist. I'll just support other artists. Oh yeah. I mean, this was up until, like I said, like six or seven years ago. And I was like six or seven years ago, I was doing different like social media and marketing strategy work. And I was working with a guy who was creating curriculum for artists to help them sell their art and make their art into their living. Oh my and God. Even at, and even at that point, I was like, okay, I'm still just an artist support. You know, I don't make art still. (laughs) So what was the first, what was the, how did that first paintbrush get in your hand? It was really this kind of period in my life where I, I kind of just took a match to my life and, and set it on fire (laughs) in like the best way possible. (laughs) I think I just really needed a reset in my life. And um, everything was kind of pointing towards you just, you really need to pivot everything. Wow. Your, your career, your relationship, your identity, you need to pick the, the route of not predictability anymore. And you need to do something that is inherently unapologetic and me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And so did you, um, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of turmoil in the lighting of the fire. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. were you, were you sick at that time or no? I wasn't. You was, were. Yeah. This was a few years before all of that kind of went down. Okay. Okay. I wondered if that, maybe that was the, the catalyst, but okay. Mm. So did you, you're like, okay, reset time to just truly be me. Did you like just go to an art store and buy a canvas and paints or did you take a class? Or pretty what did much. You do? No, I pretty much, I, I went to, I, you know, I was in this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. And I think I went to like Michael's craft store (laughs) (laughs) and I grabbed some paper and some pencils and I think some just cheap acrylic paint. And I would sit on the floor. I was living, I had quit my job. I kind of quit my life and moved to the middle of Indiana to live with my grandma for six months and help her at the family hardware store. Oh my God. And so I would sit with her every single evening and we would watch Criminal Minds and (laughs) I would pull out my art supplies and I would just doodle. I would draw things that I saw. I would try to replicate things. I would 
look at the art books that my, you know, grandma had around. Um, I really, I think I just tried to just immerse myself in something and just enjoy it without a purpose for the first time. I had no expectations on myself. It was really just an outlet for me to, to just feel something other than kind of this like turmoil of transition around me. Yeah. And did it, how did it feel? Like, did it just feel like an exhale? It did actually, you know, it's so weird now thinking about not having art in my life. I was like, what, what did I do with my time? (laughs) (laughs) You know, looking back now, like what, what was I doing? But yeah, it really was like a, I just kind of slowly because of this no fear approach and position I was in in my life, I just sat down every night and I made it that ritual. You know, when I teach my workshops, that's what I always tell people. It's like, it, you need to do it every single day or come up with a ritual around your creativity and whatever creative outlet you want to tap into and develop more. Because so often, if we can create ritual around something, we can damper the voice of the inner critic because we just know that that's what we have to do. Totally. Totally. Oh, you're saying all the things. Um yeah, because I say that to people too, because it's like, um, I, I kind of connect with exercise, right? Yeah. Like if you're gonna, you would never say that you're going to run a marathon and then go tomorrow and run 26 miles. Right. You know, you start and you work your way up and you work your way up. And if you don't run every day, there's no way you're going to get to that marathon. 100%. And it's the same thing, right? You have to just keep exercising that muscle and um, making it part of your day. And before you know, even if it's like 15 minutes a day. That you end up living a creative life because it's part of your routine. Yep, absolutely. And so what did your grandma think? Oh, she loved it, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she loved it. And she still to this day, she'll buy me art supplies and ship them to me. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, And she's, yeah, she's super supportive and and really wonderful. And so, okay, so you're doing it. I just, you know, to feel the, to do do it. Right. And then um, what, uh, like how... Did somebody want to buy one of your doodles? Like, how did the next thing happen? I I think, you know, I was able to get, I was out there for about six months, came back to Portland, moved back, got my life kind of back there, established my strategy business. And, and I just kept making art. And, and that was still even without, I wasn't trying to sell it. Um, I don't really think that people were trying to buy it. They, I think they really appreciated it, but it was more like, we just really love seeing your creative journey, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think probably, you know, it took quite a few months once I was back in Portland for me to really land on more of what I think has become more of my signature style mm-hmm. and aesthetic and what I gravitate toward. It was really those early, early iterations of it. Um, and I was able to reach out to a high-end um, vintage fashion boutique that used to be in downtown Portland back talk. And she was just really respected for her just aesthetic across the board, um, with the jewelry she made and her clothing and her styling and the artists she would bring in. And, uh, somehow we kind of married really well together from the, I was using really more kind of pastels and neons and creating these kind of like marshmallowy pastel dream, abstract dream worlds. And that really meshed well with what she had in her store. And it was so interesting because as soon as I put the show up, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so my show ended up being, my art ended up being in her store for like a full year. 
inadvertently, inadvertently, but it worked out really well. And to this day, I'm, you know, I'm still super supportive of her business and I love what she does. Wow. And so, um, oh my gosh. Okay. So that it's up. Okay. First of all, did she ask you to hang it up or did you go to her and say, I'd like to hang my art in here? Yeah, I think it was just kind of this like mutual conversation that we had. And what were you thinking? Were you like in that? I felt like a total fraud. I was just like, (laughs) well, okay. (laughs) I I want to be totally behind this art and I think it's beautiful and I think people will like it. But, you know, also I I was just doodling, you know, flowers on the floor of my grandma's living room like a year ago. (laughs) You know, I mean, am I really an artist? I don't know. But, and I remember at that first show too, there were a couple other artists that were represented. And I remember watching a couple of the other girls like go up to my pieces and like not look super impressed by them and kind of snicker a little bit and just feeling, but I remember still even looking at that. And I was really, I finally like looked at like the body of work that I had hung and I felt super proud of it. And it actually felt like a very tangible, real possible outlet as something I could do full time. And you know what, who knows if they, who knows even what they, if they were laughing about something, they could have been like talking about something completely different. Oh, absolutely. But that like weird inner critic comes, you know, out and you're like, okay, I already feel like a fraud. Like it took me forever to hang this show because I don't know how to hang artwork. (laughs) Yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm really trying hard here. Um, I like what I've made, uh, but also, you know. Yeah, you're so so exposed. You're so (laughs) exposed. I know. And I think that's one of the things I love about following you is, um, and your work and your story and just you, you're so um, heart on sleeve. Like you just put it all Mm -hmm. out there and it's very apparent in the way that you live now. It's just so funny that like you say that, like, I didn't know about the, you know, lighting the fire and, and, and just sort of resetting everything because, mm-hmm. um, you just, I, I just really appreciate how vulnerable you are and that you can sort of see it in everything that you do. And, um, and I love that that's kind of how the first show went. I think that's how everyone's first show goes. Like, even if people, yeah. <laughs> you know, have a degree or whatever, they're like, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, like yeah, everyone right. <laughs> feels like that. Um, and so I just think it's so funny. It's like, it's just a human thing, I think. Um, okay, so your work is hanging up. You find out you have breast cancer. So yeah, did surprise. did you put did you put <laughs> art on hold to go and deal with that, or did you keep painting throughout that? I definitely kept painting throughout it, and I you know I don't think that my relationship to art at that time is the same kind of healing vehicle that I use it as now. Yeah it's definitely kind of my relationship to art and you know, I don't know how it supports me right now is very different from what it was back then. But I, I, I kept creating and I kept making and I kept painting. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, I wasn't really doing much with my art at the time. I was just really making it for myself. And I, I think as much as I love kind of where my art is now, as opposed to then, I do miss those times of kind of feeling anonymous and feeling like I could just make something just for me. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a different kind of, it's a totally different kind of relationship now. Mm-hmm. And Both are like totally beautiful, but you know, it's kind of, it was nice to have that, like that time 
to, you know, to really develop that deeper relationship with my creative practice. Mm-hmm. When, when did your colors start shifting from sort of the pastels to the like crazy vibrant stuff that you do now? Yeah. You know, I think that actually happened a couple of years ago. And I think that was more kind of coinciding. I started to bring a little bit more of those vibrant colors in, in, in like small amounts. Um, but I think a lot of that probably came in when I was making more kind of commission pieces and, and I kind of go, went a little bit larger scale with my work Mm. and it gave me that room, I think for that expression to like use my hands, to use my body, to, you know, to have the surface area, to splash the paint and, and things like that. And to create more of that kind of expressive movement on the canvas. Um, and I think that was probably a couple of years ago when I had, was diagnosed with leukemia. Well, I was diagnosed with leukemia a couple of years ago and just going into the hospital and doing that treatment, I had turned my hospital room into an artist residency. So amazing. And so I think those colors just started, there was a lot of just contrast at the time. You would see a lot of just kind of dark greens and blues and maroons in there with Mm -hmm. these giant splashes of scarlet red. Yeah, it's the red. I always think of red when I think of you. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely kind of a signature color that I gravitate toward. So, so when much. so you knew that you were going to be in the hospital for X amount of time for when you sort of set up your artist residency at the hospital? Right. Did, <laughs> did you kind of know you'd be there for or did was it I, indefinite? I was kind, of, you know, I don't think I knew. I didn't know at the time everything that this was going to entail. You know, what they do is when you're diagnosed with something as like aggressive as the leukemia that I have, you kind of, you get diagnosed like on a Friday and you go into treatment on a Monday and you're in the hospital for a month. Oh my God. And it was kind of these, you know, you're in there for a month and then you get out and you have to do kind of a waiting game for a while and then you have to go back in for three weeks and then you're out for a little while and then you have to go back in for another month. And so, you know my time at home became really <laughs> precious to yeah, me. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but it was definitely one of those things that you really, everything was out of my control at that point. So when you're in there, did you, um, and you decide, like, I, that's what I just think is so, like, you, you, it just gives me chills that you're like, all right, well, I'm going to do an artist residency. Like, <laughs> you could have right. just decided to, and I mean, I'm sure you have cried, but I'm sure you could have just decided to, really feel sorry for yourself, but you're like, no, I'm going to do this. So did you bring supplies with you or did you like send somebody out to get you paint or <laughs> what did you do? I think I brought some in with me and then, yeah, I <laughs> we took out so much stuff from that room at the end of that month. Oh my God. It was moving so much stuff out because I had friends bring me giant art books and yeah, we brought in big canvases and what did the nurses know, think? Oh, they loved it. They just wanted to stay in my room the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because you go, you, when you walk around the halls and you look in people's rooms there, it's really, it can be really depressing because some people are in just for a day or two. And so they don't really need to bring much, but some people are in for a long time and they don't have anybody to come see them and they don't decorate and they wear the hospital gown and they kind of take on the, the role, you know? Yeah. And so I think even 
for the nurses, it was just nice to kind of come into a room that was like, oh, like the, our patient is up out of bed. She's moving around. She's painting. She's making things. It's bright in here. Yeah. And, um, and she's stylish as hell. Your photos in your hospital room, in your boots and your stuff, I'm like, dang, I don't look that good and I'm at home. Um, And I just love that you, you know, you've got your makeup done. This is like kudos. Like it is something. You know, it is really funny. I feel like as much as I have kind of a creative ritual too when I'm in the hospital and otherwise, but I do have, you know, if I can get up and I can take a shower and I can do my hair and I can put some makeup on and I can just, you know, put on some like perfume or something and feel like a human yeah, (laughs) and feel like a person, then it's like, I can kind of prepare my mind for everything that has to come that day. And it's really, you know, it's not like a superficial kind of thing. It's just a really kind of like, I'm putting on my armor for the day. Yeah. And my armor is as a normal, healthy person. And that's how I'm going to act today. And it just gets you out of like the total funk you can fall into just being isolated in a, you know, a hospital room and wondering why your life looks like this sometimes. <laughs> wow. It's just, you know, this is, this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you because, um, you know, like I said, it was the only times I've been following you for so long. And then I, I thought, why like and it gives me chills all the time and like your posts are so inspiring and um you're such a fighter and I just thought hang on why haven't I actually talked to her in person about all of this because um yeah. you are such you you really are such an inspiration um and you know hopefully people that aren't already following you are listening to this now going oh my god like the things that you faced and you still get up and you still create like none of us have excuse to not get up and move if you can do this you know it's it's something um you know I wanted to say about your art like especially the last couple of years I thought was so interesting when you said about first of all Hawaii and secondly like growing up being a nature kid Mm -hmm. your work to me feels like an explosion of nature like like um tropical something or I, I don't know like I wonder if it's just ingrained in you like are you making conscious choices about that or are you just sort of letting the strokes and the swooshes and the splashes happen um I love that it comes out in my work if that's that like makes me super happy it I think it just kind of comes naturally I you know I think often the movements that are in some of the pieces can mimic wings and birds and um so I really love that. And I do think that the things that I constantly think about and what brings me a lot of joy is all of the experiences I've had in nature. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's recalling all my times being in the desert and how connected I feel to the desert and growing up in Arizona and, you know, just the layers of colors and age when you go to the Grand Canyon and the... Mm slants of light and shadow that play off the canyon at different parts of the day. I think all of that, you know, I mean, it's, it's all of those flashes. Um, and oftentimes, you know, something I'll do is I'll go out on a walk about, you know, and I'll squint at different parts of nature to kind of bleed all of the colors and the light and shadow together to see Mm. what it looks like in abstract. And I try to take some of that impression 
back into my paintings when I'm blending colors and, mm, and that's so kind beautiful. of putting the scene together. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, we're doing the not-so-speedy speed round in a little bit, and one of the questions I was going <laughs> to ask you that I took away is, um, you know when you, when you close your eyes really tight and mm-hmm. you see, like, colors floating around? Yeah. When you do that, what shapes do you, do you see, a, like, do you see your colors, or do you, and do you see, like, I see weird squares that kind of remind me of 1970s linoleum. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. What do you, what do you see? I kind of see those, but I see a lot of just, I think, um, just lines, just like a lot of just like curvy lines everywhere. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> I was just so curious because your work kind of reminds me of that, you know, and I thought, and I love that you squint in nature. That's such a beautiful way to kind of, yeah, blur it all and see it in a different way. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it kind of, it kind of brings all of the different sense senses together, you know? Yeah, um, Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, in one of your um recent posts, um, because you were back in the hospital. Yeah, I was back in the hospital a couple of days ago. <sighs> and um <laughs> I love that you were talking about Frida Kahlo. Yeah. And that is totally what your story reminds me of, that you're just like, fuck this, like I'm gonna keep making like you you know, this this isn't gonna define me. I'm gonna define me and you know, that Frida just kept painting and she painted her body cast and she painted on mm-hmm. canvas and she did all that stuff. And um, how much, like, do, do you think about her a lot or was that just sort of like, uh, yeah, I was just wondering if, you know, that's always been on your mind because considering you studied art history. Yeah, she's someone that's always been on my mind. Yeah. It's, and I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to profess to be the the top most you know, expert on Frida Kahlo. I just kind of go based on my own personal relationship with her and her work and my impressions of her and the feelings that she gives me. But I remember watching, it was like a a movie on Frida that came out years ago. Oh yeah. Some Hayek played her or something along those lines. And I remember watching that and watching everything that she went through. And I was a perfectly healthy person, you know, at the time just going about my life, but just being really, really, just impacted by her and her attitude in life and going through something so tragic and still creating through it. And I also just really identify with her as a total, her love for Diego Rivera was just so deep and so haunting and so tragic. And I also find myself and my own just relationship with um, just love and my connection to people uh, to that is like very much there as well. She was a very vulnerable person and um, just had such a deep connection to someone mm-hmm. and loved so deeply. And so I think carrying on into some of the leukemia the treatment that I had, one of my best friends, her partner is a beautiful painter and painted Frida Kahlo kind of as a saint mm. and brought a print to my hospital room and she kind of became my, this, you know, patron saint of my stay there. Hmm. And I had her, you know, likeness up in my room and consulted that every day. And then, yeah. And then, you know, I think it's just one of those practices in, you know, I talk a lot about like acceptance and that acceptance is not defeat and it's really exemplified in someone's life like Frida Kahlo who 
just accepted where she was at and was able to still bring great things to life in spite of things she could not change. And just like you, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of blows my mind. Okay. I have two follow-ups to that one. Um, you know, I've seen lots of your Instagrams of you painting at the hospital and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got them drawing on the windowsill and stuff. And when you're doing that, um, when you're painting, because I know you've got so much going on and I know you get interrupted all the time because nurses are coming in to do all the things they need to do throughout the day. And um, <clears throat> when you're painting, does it feel does it feel like an escape um, or a relief or, um, yeah, like, does it, does it mentally help you to do it or do you feel pressured that you should be doing it? No, actually, in the hospital, I feel at least pressured to make art and I'm more productive than I am when I'm not in the hospital. <laughs> And I think it's because it's, it's just like healing meditation for me. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a coping mechanism too. I mean, it, it definitely is. I think there's a certain, I don't know if it's escapism per se, but I think that it's, uh, it's definitely like kind of a coping mechanism for me when I'm in there. Mm-hmm. It gives me purpose and it gives me life and it gives me this outward trajectory, you know, um, but also allows me to just kind of sit with myself too, which can be really uncomfortable at times, but uh, you know, I don't know. I'm given a lot of insights when I'm able to kind of just like sit with my thoughts and my intentions and kind of grapple with the hard things. Do you listen to your sad music that you love so much while you're painting? (laughs) I I do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do. I make a lot of playlists. So sometimes it's just, you know, sometimes it's upbeat, you know, chill music, but I definitely have to bring that, that kind of sad music in there too, just to, to perk up my day. Well, see, no wonder the nurses want to come in there. You've got, it's like a whole sensory experience. You've got music, you've got art, you've got perfume on, like you've got yeah, sm- exactly. smell, everything's happening. It's, it's just this, it's like your own, truly like an art residency. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So the other thing I was going to ask in the middle of all of that is somehow, through all of this, because you have been in and out of the hospital now for years. Like, this is like a never-ending saga. About that, four years. <laughs> yeah, that is just, I, I'm so, an- yeah. like, I'm angry for you. Like, it's like, enough, mm. like, enough. But um, somewhere in there, you've also taught workshops. Yeah, yeah, I've been <laughs> able to, yeah, I know, I've been able to teach the workshops, which has been so fun. Yeah, and so, okay, that's clearly when you're out of the hospital, and um and so how, why did you decide to start doing that? And, um, and what do you do during a workshop? I decided to do it just kind of on a whim. I think I was talking to a couple of my girlfriends, one was a photographer, one is a writer, and we decided to kind of collectively come together and organize some creative workshops for people that were lower cost that really just gave people the time and the space to learn something new and mm-hmm. connect with uh, creative routine and kind of tap into a creative outlet and just give themselves the time and space to do that. Um, so it kind of was born based on that kind of collective coming together, which was really derailed when I was diagnosed with leukemia. But I think before that we were able to do, you know, three or four different workshops Mm -hmm. and they were really successful. People really connected with them, really resonated And I was also kind of teaching independently of that. Um, I went and taught a class uh, for a friend of mine with her organization called Make and Mary, which she connects with marijuana companies who source joints. And so people get high and they have this sensory experience and I teach a workshop 
<laughs> An abstract so, painting? And this really beautifully, like, curated, beautiful environment. <laughs> well, that sounds very Portland. It's very, yes, yes. It definitely was. But that sounds was like, like it could be very, an ab- I, yeah, I, it was a really interesting experience and um, I was really happy to kind of do that. And yeah, so I've had a lot of really cool opportunities to teach workshops. And I think the most fulfilling thing has been after the fact, seeing people continue to paint, continue to make art and feeling so like something like was totally unlocked in them during that workshop that finally gave them permission to start creating isn't that so exciting? It's really exciting. Yeah. It's, it's such a wonderful, you know, it's the best possible outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know very clearly what it feels like to unlock that in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a gift to give Absolutely. it to other people. And and people like with, you know, inner critic stuff, people have so many seeds planted in their heads from different points in their life that have, that, right. that make them then believe, oh, I can't do it because of X, Y, exactly. or Z. Like a teacher said something or a parent said something or oh, yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. That um, creative shame just like roots so deeply in you. And you could hear, you know, you could hear 50 good things about something, but you have that one yep. teacher that tells you that that's not the way that you make art. And Did you ever have that experience? I think what I remember is that uh, my mom said something once about not probably not being able to make a living from art, but yeah. it was a great thing. I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so which I, plants I, the I seed. Think meant, <laughs> I think she meant well yeah. uh, by it. I don't think it was like meant as like a cruel statement, no. but it was definitely something that kind of rooted in. It was, but I like, always oh, say those are the worst ones because when it's, when it comes from somebody that you don't really like, or like a teacher that's kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, you know, but when it comes from somebody who loves you, who <laughs> like, who only wants the best for you and they say something, you're like, yeah, oh, right. like it's truth. It is hardcore. You believe it as a truth. Absolutely. And Absolutely. my mom, my mom was a working artist. Like my, when my dad was doing his PhD, um, I was born when he was doing his PhD. And so they were super poor. Um, but all of their money, all of their bills were paid by my mom's art. Oh, wow. How okay. amazing is that? Hey, 1973. Yeah. In there Vancouver, you go. She made all of their money. And, um, and so when I wanted to be an artist, um, well, I actually went to school for marine biology because again, just like you, I was being practical. <laughs> oh. And, um, and then it was my dad at the end of first year who said, I think you should switch to art because you've wow. just always been an artist. You need to switch. And um, I had my mom on the podcast actually. And I asked her about this because I remember my dad being like, you should switch. And my mom was like, oh dear God. And you know, and I was like, but mom, you're an artist. And she was like, oh, it's really hard. And and she, she denies that now. Now she's like, she on the podcast, she's like, no, I was so excited for you. I knew this was who you were, but I, and maybe it was just my inner critic and my insecurities on that phone call. But I remember thinking she sounds worried. Yes. You know? And so right. I always had that in the back of my mind to be like, ooh, ooh like this is, this is risky business being an artist, you know? So um, it's funny when those things get planted and everyone I've met at every book signing at everything always has, tells me of those seeds and who, you know, when they were planted and they can't, they can't unroot them until they do a workshop or until they burn their life down and start again. Like they need to have a pivotal moment to go, hold on, I'm going to do some weeding in there, get all that crap out of there and actually just be me. And I love that you're part of that journey for people. You know, it's, it's, 
such a special thing that you that you've been able to do for yourself and for other people. It's important, you know. It I is. mean, I think that once you've discovered it, it's really important to put that back out there and yeah, I and know it help is other and help other people. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. I just kind of think that when we approach art as just kind of art for art's sake, it loses it's just kind of loses its role or its potential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. I, it's it has saved my life for sure. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you a couple more things. One, you write too. Don't you still, don't you still write poetry? I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And so what do you, you do, is it equal amounts poetry and painting or do you paint more? Or I definitely paint more. I okay. definitely paint more. I, I think you know, when it comes to my inner critic, it's still there with my writing because the only thing I ever wanted to do in my life was be a writer. <laughs> and so I still, you know, that's still, when it comes to painting, I'm just like, let everything go. Let the oh my expectations God. go. Be brave. And when it comes to my writing, I'm like, oh, That no. is hilarious <laughs> because I went to school for art. So I am a total, like, insecure spaz about my art, but I never wrote. And so when I wrote my first book, I was like, eh, no big deal. Like, I didn't go to school for this. I think if you have a piece of paper that says this is what you're supposed to be, that's what freaks you out. And then when you're it's true. doing this it's stuff so that true. doesn't, that, you know, nobody has any expectations of, oh, my God, that's crazy. Um, so yeah. what was the thing true. that was in Powell's? Was that little booklet, was that poetry or was that um, paintings? So that was poetry. Okay. Yeah. So about three years ago, um, I self-published a poetry zine that my friend designed and I would hand paint every single cover and I had it carried at my friend's um, art boutique. And then the book buyer Powell's bought it and had it in a small press section and it just sold out wow. every time I would bring a batch in. And so that was a lot of like poetry. It was a lot about kind of the heartbreak and transition I was going through around my breast cancer treatment and kind of losing the person I loved at the time. And it's a lot of just kind of heavy stuff. And so that was really the result of that. And it was called running away from home. And because that's really always been my modus operandi is like when I don't, when I feel lost, I run away from home. Hmm. And so I ran away from home to Indiana and when I'm, you know, feeling a little bit lost and not sure about my life, I run away to the woods or I go stay somewhere on the coast. You know, I'm always mm -hmm. kind of going out and exploring and trying to find something new and yearning after something and chasing after something to find it again. Mm -hmm. Are you still like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely, um, that's definitely kind of my, what I, what I do. And I think that's the hardest thing right now is that you know, we're in isolation and there's nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so we're just kind of in place. And, uh, that's been an interesting kind of journey too, but yeah. So I think, yeah, it's really just, just doing all of that right now. Yeah. Are you, are you writing very much right now? I am. So I just, um, self-published this follow-up volume. It's an ebook with some of my paintings included. It has some short essays and some poetry. Mm. It's about 22 pages. So I just self-published that and put that on my website. Oh, good. Oh, good. Cause yeah. I was going to add the one at Powell's is gone. It's gone. Yeah, okay. That one. But I can put a link to this in, in our post so that people can go see. Absolutely. Awesome. Yep. yep. 
Um, okay, so I know like uh, between your treatments and um, COVID nineteen. <laughs> fun that's a new fun <laughs> thing to add to your to your um, life um there I saw something on your Instagram about doing a project with the Hilton and then uh, Never Lab Coffee and so I was just wondering like are those projects still going on are they just on hold or what what are those things yeah absolutely so kind of coming up on the you know in the future I was going to do a exclusive show with Hilton downtown Portland who has a beautiful gallery space and we were looking at kind of creating a broader connection with the Portland art community through this show so that's obviously been put on hold right now but I'm still in conversation with them and then Never Lab Coffee um, has been reaching out about showing some of my art in one of their coffee locations and they always just bring in such amazing local art community so I definitely hope that after you know, kind of looking ahead, um, there's still a collaboration that I can do with them there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, moving forward, there was definitely, um, kind of talk of doing these pop-up dinners with these artist talks that I was doing in partnership with a chef friend of mine, and then was also going to bring back different workshops and events and things along those lines. So I think as long as definitely kind of my next steps is more of a more associated with my health, um, just because I'm having to do another stem cell transplant in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) When is that happening? So if all goes well, it would happen the beginning of June. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's definitely those things kind of on the horizon. And I think for right now, I'm just looking at ways that I can potentially do those things in an online environment. Yeah. Or, in a self-publishing kind of way or online exhibits or shows. Well, and you know, it's been kind of amazing how um, technology, people have risen to the occasion. It's just like absolutely stuff that great. people, it's like, why? okay, like, let's keep this going. Why can't we just keep doing it like this? You know, because before nobody would do it that way because it had never been done that way. So there's been all sorts of really cool, like I had a show that was supposed to be happening in Nashville and the gallery decided to go ahead with it. It was opening March 8th or something, like right in the middle of all of it. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, no, March 20th. And so they went ahead with it and they did like video walkthroughs and we've done a bunch of like Instagram live oh, wow, that's videos amazing. where they, they like I'm on the bottom screen, they're on the top screen walking through and I can talk about each piece. I love that. Yeah. And I'm in a small town in Canada. They're down in Nashville. Um, yeah. People are buying the art from like Denmark. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. Like you don't need to not all of us need to be in one space to make it happen. And you know, you're so clever no. and creative. I'm sure that, you know, in Portland, like what a cool city. Like so many creative entrepreneurs there. Like you'll be able to figure out a way to do all sorts of things remotely. Um, because I, you know, it's gonna be like this summer, nothing I I don't think things are gonna be back to normal. For I don't a while. Think so either. No, no. And I, especially I in your so. situation, you can't like you can't be exposed to anything. No, I mean I'm not gonna have an immune system, so yeah, no <laughs> so I can't go anywhere. No. Um, but you know, it really is interesting. I think I think arts organizations and nonprofit organizations have a really hard time pivoting when it comes to revenue models yes. and they don't really understand how to uh, adapt, you know revenue models and get flexible with things that are not like in-person and event-based. And so I I think it's going to take just a lot of kind of conversations about 
um, how can these organizations still make money yeah. when people can't come in the door? Yeah. Yeah. And they have and to what are creative. people willing to pay and what are people willing to pay for? And yeah. yeah. And it's, and what are they willing to invest in and, um, who's getting funding now, you know, when you can't really prove different in-person programming, which so many grants are based on. Yeah. I know. So it's, it's going it's... So to be really an interesting, um, time for people to look at. And I think also just independent, you know, artists, collectives and, and things like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And I've really entertained with this. I, you know, toyed with this idea of, of coming up with an online artist collective that does regular group shows and could create some high quality content that, you know, people can subscribe to in kind of a Patreon like fashion. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, and, and all of this, well, even when life goes back to it's whatever, you know, the normal is going to be next, those things can still persist and develop and evolve and, and become even better ways that people can plug into and invest in the arts, Absolutely. which we needed, which we needed all along because the, the, the systems were failing us across the board. Yep. Yeah, totally. It takes, you know, you had, I, I feel like, like you said about your life, like we got to burn it to the ground. Absolutely. Like there's so much that's not working on so oh, many yeah. levels and it's yep. like, okay, well it took a global pandemic for us to actually stop and go, oh, okay. And it's kind of amazing to see, like, um, in, do you guys have, I don't know if it's Canadian brand, Red Robin flour, like baking flour. Do you guys have Red I don't, Robin? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. I think that might be Canadian. Anyway, the bag is um, bright yellow and it's got like Robin Hood on it and red writing and it. <laughs> anyway, all of the flour is flying off the shelves, right? Because everybody's oh, right. baking. Um, and, uh, so they're trying to keep up with production. So they've just started releasing these bags that are just white and they just in black type say red Robin blood, but they said, you know, we assure you it's the same flower. We're just saving on costs. And it's like, keep doing that. Like, why are you, you don't need to use all the inks. You don't need to use all the, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just like, so it'd be interesting to see if there's a shift where it's like, oh, okay, we don't actually need to do all of these things we thought we needed to do because it was the normal. Yep. I'm so excited to see like, I hope we don't go back to whatever that old normal was. I hope there's some evolution and some new thinking. And it's crazy for me, like since, since the lockdown, I've been busier than I've been in ages because yeah. people are calling from all over the place going, can you come and do this online thing? And I said to my totally. husband, I, I wore makeup like four days in a row. I was like, this is the most <laughs> I've worn makeup like in a year. Um, so there is a shift and uh, I would not be surprised at all if you are at the forefront of uh, figuring out what's next, like, you know, being able to have these collectives and it'll be exciting. Yeah, I think so too. I think so, so too. For, for now between, okay, so what are we at? We're at the beginning of May. So do you just have to lay low? Uh, until this treatment, like until the stem cell thing? Pretty much. Yeah. I go into doing a biopsy next week and we'll see if this last round of treatment worked to get to me into a place where we can proceed with a transplant. Okay. So it's really one of those, my body got through the week of probably the gnarliest treatment I've ever received <laughs> last week. Really? Um, yeah. And so it got through it, which is great and really amazing. Um, but really the, you know, we have to kind of wait on this biopsy to know whether or not we can, can do a full stem cell transplant and really all the stars have to align so perfectly over the next 30 days. It's going to be, 
it's going to be just a real feat of engineering. If my body can withstand this, I'm going to be forever in awe. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, you must have, um, do you kind of have like an out of body relationship with your body? Like it's, it, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like your, your spirit is such a force to be reckoned with. And then it's like your body, you're like, come on girl. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's a very forgiving relationship with my body. It's, you know, it's kind of a roller coaster of emotions at times when it's just like, you know, get your shit together, but also like, I know you're doing the best you Thank can. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you kind of vacillate between the two and yeah, it's a constant, just, I think, um, you, I think I watched my body just, it's so sensitive and it's very just responsive to a lot of different things. And I listen to it really closely and I also just try to give it as positive feedback as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You Uh, have to, that was what I was going to ask you. Like, do you, I mean, you, from the outside view, from the Instagram view, you seem to stay so positive and, um, do you like how, how do you do that? Do you meditate? Do you have something that you tell yourself? Like, is it the ritual of getting up and having a shower and being a normal body? Yeah, Yeah. it really is. I mean, I think it's trying to find just a lot of normalcy and I've always done that, you know, even over the past, when I was like a perfectly healthy person and barely ever gone to the hospital before all of this. And, you know, like the last four years have just been filled with doctor's appointments and I've kind of become a pro at all of this. Yeah. But, so what did you say on Instagram? Something about if there was an Olympic sport for cancer, you'd like be a gold medalist by now. Oh, yeah. yeah. 100%, right. Yeah. Across the board. Um, but yeah. I, I think it's, it's really sitting with all of the feelings. And then that allows me to come to like kind of a state of acceptance that I don't just kind of sit in the, the stew of it, you know? Yeah. The why, the why me. Right. Exactly. And I think a really great thing that I always try to remember is that life isn't always fair, but it is good. And there are always things that you're going to be able to find along the way to refocus you on the good that is there. Mm -hmm. And it's not not like a Pollyanna kind of way, you know, like I, I grapple with the full range of diverse emotions that come with all of this, you know, from days where I am really angry that this is my life to days where I am, you know, deeply depressed. You know, I think over the past like few weeks, I've had to lose some really important people to me and just a a big transition in my life with some of my relationships. And that's also been really hard to deal with on top of just feeling like I'm losing my body and I'm losing my health and all of this. And then you try to reframe it in a way that's like, well, okay, we think about the fact that things, there's loss there, but what is also the gain? Right. And so it's just a reframing and it's, it's a sitting with the hard things and then it's picking yourself up off the floor and going, okay, we can't constantly just like dwell on this, you know, like, um, we just got to go on. And, and I just think that's always been my mentality throughout my entire life. It's just very adaptive and it's very, you can sit in it for a little bit, but you know, that's just not going to help anything. So you got to get get up, up. you got to get up and you got to go. And I think it's been the example of, you know, those strong women in my family that has been set for me. It's the, the, 
great respect that I've had for just like learning about just great like women leaders throughout history that my grandma has imparted to me like throughout my life. Um, it's really looking just to these like really just strong female role models as people that were faced with the toughest adversities and yet they still found a reason and a way to get up the next day and make strategic decisions about things and do the best that they could. Mm-hmm. That just gave me chills. see this is why I had to have you on (laughs) so proud of you like I like it's so funny because I've commented on a few of your posts lately that just say you know when you're kind of like oh god here we go again I I wrote um yeah fight you know in all caps and it's like I don't even know you but like I I was just (laughs) like I I wish I could smash something for you you know like when my dad passed away suddenly um a year and a half ago I I'd never experienced loss like that and you know, you always hear about the five stages of grief and you're like, okay, thanks, Dr. Phil. But um, (laughs) um, the anger part for me Mm. was real. Like I was like, I said to my husband, I just like, it was like, I could, it was in my hands. I was like, I need to pick up a rock and smash something (laughs) that will create a very loud sound and a very big mess that I don't have to clean up. Like I just wanted to smash something. Oh yeah. You know, and when I read that you were going to have to go through this again, I, I wanted to smash something for you, you know, and, um, and you are such a fighter and, and, um, you know, this is weird cause we have just met each other now, but like, mm-hmm. I am so proud of you for the fight that you are putting up and, um, and your flexibility and, um, just the way that you've approached it is so inspiring. You I know? appreciate that so yeah. much. I appreciate that so much. It's, um, it's been it's so exciting to be on your podcast and it's so exciting to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> after too. kind of virtually knowing you for a decade. I know, that's how I feel. I'm like, <laughs> why have we never talked? Like this makes no oh, sense. So and good. and so um good. yeah, so I really I'm so glad to have your story on here, have people hear your words, but I'm not letting you go yet. I'm making you do the not so speedy speed round. I love this. Okay. I love this. So you know that the not so speedy speed round is not speedy because of me. Because I always ask follow-up questions. So, um, okay, you are officially out of the hospital. So what is your favorite meal? After all that hospital food, what is your go-to, I want to have this? Usually it's um, takeout from somewhere. I love this little Italian place in Portland called Luce. And they make their own pasta and their own focaccia. And they have Mm. these little Italian appetizers. And you can tack on a bottle of like white or red wine and they, they just make the most beautiful meals. Have it's you had that already? Lovely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have it at least once a week. <laughs> okay. It's so good. It's so good. They do such a great job, but I love to cook too. And so, you know, oftentimes I'm just in the kitchen making food too. So I think I came home and I think I just made like a giant thing of like pasta again. Yeah. Just just really getting down on that pasta, mm-hmm. this isolation. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I know it's the comforts too, right? Um, what, what's your What's your favorite thing to eat at the hospital? Do they have anything good? You know, I've kind of got it down to a little bit of a science. So I'm eating all of the good stuff. Yeah. And so I tend to gra- like gravitate towards just like really fresh, like they have a lot of, um, they have like salmon and steamed veggies and things along those lines. So 
Usually I just like go really healthy. Mm, good for know. you. I'm like a super boring eater. I, it just makes me feel better because when you're in the hospital, you're just not moving very much. Yeah. You know, it's not like you have the opportunity and I have so much energy and I'm just like constantly moving in my normal daily life. So, um, they, Do they let you open little... the, can you open your window when you're in No, there? you oh. can't open the window. You can't like go outside when you're like immunocompromised like this. Oh. Cause there's usually not somebody to go with you. And right now they don't let any visitors come to the hospital. So when I'm going to the hospital, I have nobody with me. Oof. And it is really a very strange thing. Uh, but yeah, you just don't like move as much and, you know, to get an opportunity to be as active in the hospital. So I try to, but you know, it's been really nice. I've had some friends drop off food to me when I've been in the hospital the last couple of times. Oh, and that's good. So that's just been really sweet. Pasta? Mexican tacos. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Those are good friends. Those <laughs> are good friends. That. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. What is the best Halloween costume you've ever had? Ooh, the best Halloween costume I think was the one I just had this past Halloween because I had to get creative because I was immunocompromised still. And so I wanted to go with my partner at the time. I wanted to go to his Halloween party. And so I became the masked assassin for the night so that I could go to the Halloween party. <laughs> so, Smart. So my doctors got a kick out of that. They were like, wait, you're going to a Halloween party. I was like, yes, but I am wearing a mask. And they were like, okay, that's totally acceptable. We see how you're getting around this. <laughs> we don't want you to go, but we see how you're getting around this. Clever. Love it. Yeah. You can't keep me from a good time. I'm just no. saying. <laughs> um, what was the first car you ever had? Oh, I loved this car. This was my absolute favorite car. It was an old Mercedes. <gasps> cool. When I was, yeah, when I was like 16, um, it was blue and had leather interior and just had the best smell like a and 70s kind of... Um... It was, I think it was from the 80s. Okay. Um, so kind of had a square body. Yeah. It was diesel. It kind of had that grumbly sound when you started. It didn't always work well. And one day it just kind of blew up when I was going down the freeway. But so that was very sad. But it was definitely probably the coolest thing. You know, I was this really just shy homeschooled girl going to church and didn't really have a lot of social skills. And I had this beautiful car and just felt, you know, the top of the world. <laughs> That's so funny. The, that car always reminds me that the guy I had a crush on all through like the last couple of years of university drove um, like an early eighties Mercedes. And it was sort of like a oh, yeah. cream color, like a yeah. yellowy cream. Oh, and so, and no, no, I didn't have a car. I just lived in res. And so anytime we you'd see him go by, Oh, there he was again. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, I don't remember a lot of things about the people I've dated, but I always remember the car that they drove. It's so weird. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so funny. Um, okay. Your favorite TV show as a kid and your favorite TV show now. Oh, as a kid, I think it was, you know, different shows like Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, mm. you know, like I wanted, I like to, and, and I mean, I grew up very Christian, so I, I obviously like was fed all the very wholesome TV content. <laughs> I wasn't able to watch like The Simpsons or anything <laughs> like that. Um, I still haven't. <laughs> I don't know. But I think it was like shows like that, like very wholesome you know, detective kind of shows that I was allowed to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think now it's all cooking shows. I'm a really bad TV watcher because I get so distracted and I get bored really easily. Yeah. So I'm really bad at watching TV, but cooking shows are kind of the only thing that will keep me 
locked in. Have so you I'm watched? Watching... Oh yeah, so great. Go ahead. Oh, I'm watching like Top Chef right now, like the new season of Top Chef. There's a chef in Portland on there, and so it's like really fun to watch that. And yeah, I've watched like all the cooking competition shows, all the documentary shows. Um, Food is just like something I'm super passionate about. I had a food zine a couple of years ago and study food constantly. So, so that's definitely kind of my favorite thing to watch. Do you watch the, um, the great British baking show? You know what? Yeah. It's so funny. Like literally I kind of like equate, I associate the great British baking show with my, my first transplant because my mom and I watched every single episode of it when I was in the hospital. Oh my gosh. Isn't that weird how when whatever you're watching connects to whatever you're going through? Oh yeah. It's so fun. I'm a huge basketball fan too. And so I can always like remember just being in the hospital watching, you know, like the the Blazers games too. And just still trying to stay on like a regular schedule of like watching the basketball games, even though I was in the hospital. Yeah. uh, My husband's dying. He's a big basketball fan and not having the season, but have you watched any of the Jordan documentary yet? Yeah, so I started watching that. Really excited about that. Thank God that came out. Yeah, yeah, we've been watching <laughs> because, it too. Because, yeah, I was just, you know, lamenting to my best friend the other day. I was like, I don't care about TV other than sports and food, you know? And so, and I, I love basketball so much and I've connected with these players so much that it's just, yeah, it's it's like not having your friends around, oh, you yeah. know? Did you play basketball? no no I was terrible at sports and I was also super shy and so I you know I I didn't like I definitely wanted to play sports but I was so shy that I just I couldn't do it you're quite tall aren't you how tall are you I'm actually not no I'm like five five so I would have been a great soccer player awesome soccer player (laughs) uh but uh, yeah I was I was just too shy to do it oh poor little Megan (laughs) I know, I know. She just can see me now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my son is 13 and he's six feet tall. Oh my gosh. And wow. uh, yeah, he loves basketball and um, has just started getting quite good at it. Like he, he's been playing since he was little, little, like four or five, I think. But he, um, he hasn't really found his body until now. You know what yeah, I mean? Like he right. was sort of like things weren't He's not super athletic. I know so. you're always still until that age, you're surprised your arms are that long. You're yeah. Like weird. My arms are like Gumby, you know, and you're just, you don't even know why they're like that way. Well, he's so, he's not aggressive at all. Like he's a really sweet kid. And so, oh. um, and I taught him like, cause he was always bigger than all the other kids. So when he was little, I was like, gentle, gentle, like, I, you know, like, Oh, share the ball, share the ball. And so now I'm like, steal the ball. And he's like looking at me like, what? <laughs> You know, like, fight for it. And he's just like, <laughs> So it's very counterintuitive. So anyway, he's just starting to figure it out. But watching the Jordan documentary has been amazing because he's also a perfectionist and really hard on himself. So um, it was so cool for Jordan to say he didn't make his senior high school team. You know, and he had to, like, he had to go into the gym and keep trying. He ended up, like, I think he was the equipment manager at first, but he kept going in every morning and practicing, and then he went to the coach and said, can I please, like, can I try it again? And he got on the team. And I said to Charlie, look, you know, you're not going to be, like, if you want to be the best basketball player, it doesn't just happen because you woke up in the morning. Like, you need to be out there. You need to be shooting. You need to be, and that's what he does now. He's just, he's working his little butt off. So, because he starts high school in September, and he really wants to make the high school team. So, he's, like, he's working so hard. And this documentary has been great. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I know. I love it. So, between that and the Great British Baking Show, like, he loves that one, too. You guys, you guys are kindred spirits you two so, I know for sure <laughs> I know it's so inspiring like watching 
people like that, because if you're already somebody who's kind of a self-starter and you have that drive, you know, like having role models like that and hearing their stories and not, you know, I think people are always just astonished that you have this huge superstar, but you realize just like, it's the, it's the basic humdrum things every day is what made them great. And they're just people. Then they're just people. And, and really, you know, at the end of the day, it was just the hard work that they put in and it was the boring stuff that, that, you know, just the time shooting hoops every single day. Well, it's exactly what you're saying about making creativity part of your ritual, right? Exactly. It's that hard work. Like you don't, you don't just show up and drop a piece off at MoMA. Like you have to do the hard work and make the crap and, you know, throw some stuff away and like all that stuff. I remember taking a human development class and, you know, it talked about how we all have these kind of thresholds for different talent, you know, how we're, our minds and our bodies can go. We, we all have these different, you know, kind of thresholds. And, and really when we look at people who are kind of, you know, people that we view as exceptional, the thing that is most exceptional about them is not because they have this inborn talent. And yes, of course, you know, they do, but it's because they, they practice every single day. It's because they go the extra step of putting in that work of, of doing the boring things every single day to make them just a little bit better to just make them a half a second faster, um, to make them just a little bit sharper. And it's really that kind of showing up that in every area of our life, I feel like if we just knew that like it, it didn't really take huge gestures. It really just took the small gestures of showing up for other people, for ourselves, um, for our creative practice, it's really that that makes the biggest impact. That is a perfect place to end. Except, <laughs> wait, I have, do have one more question, which is okay. also, I think, very good for you. Um, if you could go anywhere right now, if you could run away <laughs> right now, where would you go? I have two places. I would, like, split myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to be on the coast in Italy, Mm. just kind of feeling the warm pebbles underneath my feet and sitting under a striped umbrella with a gin and tonic. I would love to do that. And then at the same time, simultaneously being in a cute little apartment in Paris, just kind of walking around in the rain, going to museums and galleries. Those both sound excellent. (laughs) I would probably, like to come probably with you. In my life, probably in my life, those, those places have been the, the ones I felt the, the most happiest. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I sure hope you get to go and do that when all of this is over. And I believe 100% this stem cell transplant is going to work. The stars will align. I am sending <laughs> you all of that energy and love and light and will to make that happen ah uh, thank you so much i will take it all okay good well thank you so much again <laughs> thank for you so much doing this was this. wonderful yeah it was so nice to get to know you other than just like following along on instagram and um i'm so happy to share your story and um i'm gonna do a great big post um this is going up today Oh, wow. Yeah. Because okay, I usually record, um, I usually put things up late Friday night and then you were like, can you do Saturday morning? And I was like, 
Sure. So I thought instead of waiting a whole other week, why not just put it up a day late? It's nobody even knows what day it is anymore. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't even know what day it was until I looked at my computer. Right. So, so, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll just put it up and be like, you guys, it's Friday. <laughs> what are you talking about? They won't know. They won't know. They won't know. They're not no. even wearing pants. They're eating sourdough bread. They're going to have no idea. Um, no. So I'm going to do a great big post on my site with, um, images of your work and a link to your new um, poetry book that they can download. And um, thank you so, so, so much. Good luck with everything. And please keep me posted. I will for sure. Thank okay. you so much. Have such a good day. Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. <sighs> I am not even sure what to say, which is rare for me. Like I said 5,000 times in that episode, I am so inspired not only by Megan's vibrant abstracts that are oh so full of life, but also by Megan, who is so vibrant and oh so full of life. Cancer sucks. There is no way around that. But the way she continues to fight and to find the Frida Kahlo within is giving me all the feels. There were so many gems in that interview, all of which having have me wanting to drop everything right now, excuses included, and get into my studio to make something. If you don't already have one, I would highly recommend taking Megan's beautiful advice about adopting a creative ritual in your life, in whatever way that works for you. Thank you so much to Megan for again being so vulnerable and allowing us into her art practice and into her life. And of course, thank you so much for listening. Wash your hands, stay home, save lives, lives like Megan's. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then.